This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. From Fulbright Scholar to Consultant to CMO, Jennifer Kelly Dominici has had an incredible career. Her most recent stop at BBVA Compass allows her to lead one of the best banks in the industry. Listen to her approach to social now. Welcome, Jennifer, to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And I, you know, was looking over your whole story and all of the things that you've done, and I was so impressed. So I would love for you to share with our listeners the story of your career. Well, thanks for asking. Um, I started my career um, actually in international business. I was a major of both international studies and Spanish in college, and I had a great opportunity to do a Fulbright scholarship to Uruguay uh, the year after I graduated from college. And so it was a really great opportunity to take international studies and put it to practical uh, use. And um, I went to Uruguay and I spent a year there studying about the free trade agreement called Mercosur. And I really just at that time, therefore, got the international bug even more. So I spent the first uh, decade of my career in international business. I went to work for a consulting firm right after college that I actually did an internship with during college, but then returned to them after my Fulbright called Monitor Group. And we were working in lots of different strategy initiatives for major clients. But it's there really where I got a broad-based experience across a lot of different industries, uh, from aluminum to retail to telecom, but also got an opportunity to work on strategy initiatives for governments actually all throughout uh, South America. The idea was that working together, private and public sector together, a country can be better. And while the philosophy was that the firms that compete, not the government, the idea that really you need a good private partner partnership to make things happen. So I went first to Colombia, then I went to Ecuador, and then Venezuela. Uh, And then, you know, in addition to, like I said before, my my stay in Uruguay. And then I got the great opportunity to go to Brazil, where I spent uh, five years working on uh, a lot of different kinds of consulting uh, projects, the biggest of which was in the lottery industry. Uh, Then from there, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in South America in the consulting business, um, but then I had an entrepreneurial bug and decided to start my own venture for two years. So I started an opportunity that um, was very much rooted in the insight that firms wanted to teach business courses and skills to to their employees, but also wanted their employees to be well-versed in English or Spanish or Portuguese. And so the idea together with a partner was to give customized training solutions to companies and we could deliver um, the classes in whatever language that the company most wanted. Obviously for me, it was in English. My partner was a a fluent uh, Spanish speaker. uh, And obviously we had many, many Brazilians on on the team as well. 
Um, after that, um, probably almost a decade in South America, and I had I married a Brazilian, moved back to Chicago, had a great opportunity to join a consulting firm that was founded by a gentleman named Gary Hamill, kind of a leading strategy um, leader in the field of strategy and innovation, and worked with his team uh, to really help companies uh, innovate and bring innovation to the core of their DNA of their organizations, um, brands such as Best Buy um, and, and other leading brands. And really the idea was that if you teach the client uh, how to fish, they can actually go out and develop, you know, innovation skills and, and businesses, you know, on their own. And so we were like guiding, uh, guiding the initiatives throughout these major organizations. Um, and then I decided to leave and join another consulting firm founded or actually chaired by a gentleman named David Ocker. Um, and many of you probably know him for all the great work he's done around brand strategy. Yeah. And there I worked again with leading uh, companies, you know, such as Johnson and Johnson and Mosaic and others. And there was really, um, was also innovation work, but it was a lot of brand strategy work. How do you think about re-energizing uh, brands, reinventing brands and the like? And then at a certain point, started having a children and realized that while well, consulting was phenomenal, you meet a lot of different brands and a lot of great businesses and a lot of great geographies. It was time for me to go on the client side, had an opportunity to join uh, Sears and Kmart uh, during their digital transformation um, and uh, joined as the divisional vice president of customer analytics and social media uh, for one of their major divisions um, and then was uh, promoted to become the CMO of the seasonal business and spent about four and a half years at Sears and Kmart and really was able to hone a lot of my um, marketing skills that I had learned throughout my years of consulting, um, but really putting it to practical use. So everything from leveraging analytics to drive, you know, actionable strategies, but also really um, got much more familiar with media planning and creative development and um, and really e-commerce. And as, as you know, a lot of the channels at the time for marketing were evolving and continue to evolve. And it was there I kind of really got my feet wet in all of those, um, you know, digital channels as well. And then took them to my next opportunity where I joined um, a couple of companies that were part of uh, Liberty Media group, um, including Evite, and there was really trying to continue to help them drive out their e-commerce initiatives. So fast forward to today, uh, I no longer live in Chicago. I live now in Houston. I joined uh, a great organization called BBVA Compass about a year ago. Um, as you can tell from what I just told you, I don't have a banking background per se, <laughs> but the, the digital and the e-commerce and frankly, the retail background that I had um, has been very applicable to what I'm doing uh, today at BBBA Compass as the Chief Marketing and Digital Sales Officer, and my role there includes um, all of the marketing, but also all of the digital and e-commerce initiatives, as well as the uh, customer analytics, the online account origination, and the public website. So lots of fun fun times today, and really excited to be part of uh, a global organization. For those of you who don't know BBVA Compass, while we're based in Birmingham and Houston, where retail presence is throughout the Sun Belt, we are um, very much a, a global organization uh, based out of uh, Madrid, Spain, and uh, we're the number one bank in Mexico, and we have a lot of um, activity all throughout South America as well. Incredible. And so how was the shift for you going to more of a regulated industry? So going from an Evi or, you know, looking at any of these, looking at uh, the Kmart and Sears, looking at that area and 
going over to banking, did it shift in terms of how you had to approach digital? Definitely. Uh, there's a lot of regulation, as you know, in banking, and um, it's following the rules, but it's also taking a lot of the lessons learned that I had learned from other industries and saying, well, why not? And clearly, while you know we have a lot of regulations and our, we work very closely with our legal and our compliance and our risk teams, who are really helpful partners in, in figuring out what we can and cannot do, by coming from an, another industry, I was able to ask questions and ch- challenge the conventional thinking, you know, of the of the industry. Um, and you know, the companies obviously hired a lot of really talented people from the industry, but then also brought in a lot of people from outside of the industry. Because I've oh, always I'm sure believed that's that it's essential, essential, totally right. And it gets like, you yeah. to think about things creatively, right, and, um, and do things maybe you've never done before in an industry if you're only, you know, playing by the same playbook. Fabulous. And tell me a little bit, just stepping back to more about you, because I always love to know about my social ladies. So traveling so much so early in your career and living in different places, um, did that give you a different perspective? Talk to me about the impact that sort of had on your life. Well, for sure. I mean, I think the best thing that anybody can honestly ever do is to travel and to travel to other countries is really something that has given me, you know, the fuel to really become more innovative in my own thinking. Obviously, you see new things, um, you see trends that are potentially not even hit the U.S. Um, You also get good at recognizing insights and saying, well, what if we did what they're doing in Uruguay? How would that apply back to Chicago? Or what are they doing in Spain? And what is the relevance for us here in Houston? Um, So for me, it broadened my mind. It got me to be more empathetic in many respects, because obviously I had to communicate with people and not always having, although I speak, you know, Spanish and Portuguese, it still was never my native language. So I really had to use all my skills, right? <laughs> my relationship yeah. building skills and communication skills and, 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 and empathy really to really try to understand people. But at the end of the day, what I really believe in is that people are very similar no matter where you go. And there's a lot of commonality across what's happening in Brazil or what's happening in Houston or what's happening in Mexico, what's happening in in China, for example. And so for me, it's finding the commonality and finding those connection points. I think it makes you a better marketer because marketing is all about, in my mind, you know, connecting the dots and spotting those patterns and bringing things that may seem disparate together. And so it's really given me an ability that I think has seasoned me in many respects in my career, but it also has taught me to learn to deal with ambiguity because there's nothing more ambiguous than when you're 22 or 23 years old and you're going to do a Fulbright scholarship and be not knowing exactly what you're expecting and, you know, learning how to to kind of survive on your own and, you know, create things on the fly or going and working. Sort of roll with it, right? I picture you rolling with it over there. That's unbelievable. Exactly. Great. Exactly. It's like you, it's like that old adage, you can't see the end from the beginning, right? So by being abroad, it gives you the opportunity to be comfortable that things will change. And while you have a broad idea where you're going, you don't exactly know where you're going to end up. And would you say the same thing about consulting in that it sort of prepared you for these big brand roles going in and having lots of insight into many different companies? For sure. I think what it does is it gives you the ability to work 
um, in the inside of an organization, but as an outsider, so you can ask different kinds of questions. Um, but you can tailor what you're asking depending on the stakeholder. So as a consultant, you learn how to talk to the finance people as well as the operations people as well as the marketing people or the digital people or what have you. Um, you learn to have an executive presence um, that enables you to be able to present your case or your recommendations, and that's obviously very helpful now that I work on the client side. Yeah, um, I also think it gives you the opportunity to see industries that you never really thought you'd be able to explore. I mean, I mentioned some of the big brands I've worked with, but I've also spent a, a good amount of time in the petrochemicals industry and the shrimp, shrimp farming industry in Ecuador and other different industries, and you know, from toys to apparel to tourism to, uh, you know, like I said, shrimp farming and banana logistics down in Ecuador. And those are industries, while they don't, you don't think they have anything to do with banking, but every so often you come along and you remember something back in the day and you say, wow, that could be a very applicable idea to bring back here. I love how you weave together the commonalities, both in both in a global approach, which you were talking about earlier, and then in looking at the different types of industries, that there's something the same in, in a little bit of everything. It's really cool. Very cool stuff. So BBVA, so when you are marketing BBVA Compass, and you talked a lot about kind of the footprint and where they are, tell me a little bit about your use of digital and social uh, and overall what you are using social media for today. So that's a great question. We at BBVA and BBVA Compass, um, we really use um, social to engage with our clients, but also with the communities in, in which we bank and live. And social for us gives us a, a different kind of tool than in the old day when we would just push out messaging, we put signs and branches and send communications to our clients, you know, either via email or, or letters. It's not like we don't do that today, but what we do is we have an opportunity to engage with different kinds of content um, and really bring the stories and the the messaging we're bringing to our clients and our potential clients beyond banking doesn't mean that we don't talk about um, products uh, via social, but what it does enable us to do is to broaden the kinds of conversations around lifestyle topics and other topics of interest for our clients. So for example, recently we rebranded the bank here in the U.S. around this concept of banking on a brighter future and essentially what that means is we're helping clients you know, stay in control throughout their financial journey so that they can bank on whatever that bright future is or whatever that opportunity is that they're seeking. And we, real, we know that people have different, quote unquote, bright futures ahead of them. Not everybody's created equally, of course, but what we've realized is we can help our clients through thick and thin to brighten individual moments as well as, you know, the more the larger, more milestone moments as well. Um, we can be a good partner you know, from, from start to finish. And so what we've done recently was we've launched a community uh, around this concept of Bright Futures, hashtag Bright Futures, uh, on bbvabright.com. And right now we're really just working with our ambassadors who tend to um, be um, a lot of our NBA athletes were the official bank of the NBA. But what it is is sharing their stories about some of their tips on how they've gotten to their brighter future and some of the tips that they've employed along the way. Um, so learning, you know, finding success and failure or learning how to ask for help or knowing where you're going. And we've come up with these 10 principles, which are these 10 um, 
principles to help people get to that bright future. And we, we've shared the stories of many of these ambassadors. Um, and, and that's a different kind of content that we would have pushed out normally. Um, a few years ago, for example, we might have just talked about TD rates. Now we're talking about lifestyle stories. We're talking about, um, you know, money fit content. We're talking about other kinds of content that we hopefully think will be useful and, and hopefully more engaging. And we do that across a lot of different platforms. It sounds like you're talking about why you would use the bank, you know, how versus how it specifically helps you with its products. It's more about the reason why, which is to prepare for this future and, and to look at that. I love that. And I love the NBA stories. That's really incredible. Uh, talk to me a little bit about um, how you are getting the message out. Have you been experimenting with paid media and social at all, or have you uh, just kind of posted organically to see what happens? Well, we obviously do a lot of posting organically. Um, the principal platforms we use are Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter. And yeah. um, we we uh, also have a YouTube uh, channel. Um, we start with organic. We start to see what works. And, you know, we use an editorial calendar so that we can mix up the content. We've also created several different blogs. One is the Bright Ideas for Business blog, and the other is the hashtag MoneyFit blog. Um, and what we, however, have done is we've more recently started to realize that good content, when we push some, put some paid media behind it, actually will get more views. And totally. of course, while we want to reach our current clients, we also would love to cater to potential clients as well. So the NBA campaign that we launched at All Stars um, up in Toronto, we did put some paid media behind it. But what we realized is a lot of the content already started to resonate organically until we knew we were onto something. And then that's when we put some additional paid media behind it. One of our great stories was the fact that one of our brand ambassadors is Becky Hammond, uh, the first uh, female coach in the NBA, and she was also an all-star coach. And we were so proud of that uh, story that Becky shared about how she really worked from the driveway on up to become this very, very successful female coach when and along, even her dad said she'd never make it to the NBA, but she believed in herself and she believed she could have a bright future. And we were just so proud seeing her coach along the sidelines. And um, we wanted to share her story more broadly. So that's where we did employ some paid media. And we also enlist the support, of course, of our ambassadors who have great social connections themselves. So it sounds like it's a combination of the ambassador or influencer-based distribution and then testing. I think what you're using the paid for, which I love, is giving it like the little push and seeing if it in fact resonates and then it sort of takes off organically, which I really like. Yes, exactly. Sometimes, like I said, we'll start with organic, then we'll push, push, and then sometimes we'll use paid to, to test and then, you know, then it just to, to seed it a little bit and to see it take off. And, and different things, um, different pieces of content, frankly, perform differently, right? Um, but the totally. good news is social media today does give us the opportunity, like I said, to have a, just a different kind of conversation than we were having um, one kind of, than we used to have in the past. One other hashtag we've been using a lot is hashtag live bright. Um, and one of the things we, we realize in banking is there's a lot of negativity in banking. Yeah. Not everybody likes their bank, and you know, yeah. a lot of times banks are perceived to not be brands you really want to engage in. Like people yeah. talk about their favorite coffee shop or their apparel, uh, you know, retailer, but they don't necessarily talk about their bank. And so, with Libbright, we're trying to stand for all things positive, and you know, to use your word, likable, right? Very, you know, friendly and social. And so, we've changed up the tonality. 
we started to just share content that we think is a, you know, a motivational moment or a motivational meme and, or we're, we're, we're tweeting out from an event. For example, we were just at South by um, prior to that, we were at the Austin marathon and we were kind of cheering on all the, the runners and all the people in the, in the crowds that were having a live bright moment, you know, cheering their favorite runner on. And so Jennifer, you have all of these incredible campaigns, and I love Live Bright in terms of the positive messaging. I think that stuff really resonates very well on social, too, because there's so much negativity out there, not even just about banks. In general, you see you know, constant news and, and kind of difficult situations, and I think people need a little bit of positivity in their lives. How do you measure uh, whether or not a campaign is successful for you? What are the metrics that matter to you? Well, it depends on what the campaign is set up to do. Obviously, um, with social campaigns, um, particularly when we put some paid media behind it, we want to just make sure that we're reaching the right audience at the right time. Um, we, we still, like most you know, re- e-commerce retailers, um, we look at you know, traffic um, to our digital properties to see if you know, more traffic say, is driven to our webpage or to our online account opening applications to see if we're driving some acquisition uh, of households as a result of the work. But sometimes it's much more of a we're just trying to raise some brand awareness and, and drive consideration. So we may be visiting, um, excuse me, uh, measuring views of a particular video and shares um, so it's a kind of a mix of engagement um, that we measure um, and typical brand consideration, brand funnel metrics to see the health of the brand and how are we moving the needle on the brand over time. But as I have responsibility for digital sales, more and more we're trying to quantify everything we do and to see if there's a lift over our, the baseline to say, well, more people, because they were exposed to this particular campaign, either came into a branch or you know, clicked and took an action online, whether that's opening up an account or ideally in the case of a bank actually funding the account, it isn't just enough to open it. We'd like you to actually, you know, engage with your account and and fund it over time. Absolutely. I think that's a very important piece is that it can't just always be for reach engagement, et cetera. It has to tie back to the bottom line as well. And I think that it's an important piece. Sometimes people are afraid to say, but it's a very important piece of the puzzle in digital and social. Definitely. And one thing I would add, too, is we definitely see social working in the mix of marketing. I think, you know, social, you know, even when I was back, you know, Kmart and Sears, and that was probably now about six years ago, social, everybody was still figuring it out. And it wasn't necessarily a tried and true part of the marketing mix. And now I would argue that it's actually a part and a critical part of our mix, right? So we use paid search, but we work on all SEO efforts. We work on affiliate marketing. Well, we also have paid and organic social equally as part of that digital mix. And, you know, it's certainly for us something that we're getting better as we go. Um, and the role and the importance of social, at least in my humble opinion, is increasing over the years. Absolutely. And the support that it provides for the other pieces of the marketing mix is really incredible. And so tell me, are you somebody who is very social personally in terms of use of social media or are you somebody who has it at work and then kind of shuts it off? You know, I try and be social. I certainly I could do more. I know the, um, I do have a blog. However, you know, unfortunately, um, my mom passed away last year. And when she got sick, oh. um, we were dealing with, um, you know, cancer. And that was kind of tough. I kind of decided I wasn't in the mood to be outwardly social, if that makes yep. sense. Right. So yep. I stopped publishing, even though, you know, I believe my 
blog has the potential to be resuscitated anytime soon. It's yeah. called, called Frontline yeah. Mom, the notion yeah. of really kind of balancing um, as you work on the front line, even though we all know that, you know, there's no such thing as true balance, but, it, you know, how do you think about having a career and also being on that front line and who do you rely upon? Because every front line needs a back line, so to speak. So that was the per- that was the idea of the blog. And at that time, I was doing much more um, active tweeting and, and and trying to really build um, build that out. Now that doesn't say I've I've completely gone away from using social personally. You know, I, I do like to um, use Twitter, and I, I I'm certainly very engaged on my you know Facebook as a way to keep in touch with a lot of my global friends and families, and then of course LinkedIn uh, for a variety of reasons probably could do more with Instagram for sure. Um, but I guess what I would say is I like to use social, but honestly, I run so many social programs at work that sometimes I just yep. want a quiet moment and kind of turn myself off. And last week I was on spring break and didn't do much, uh, anything social other than being social with my family, which sometimes is, you know, what matters. Yes, completely. Totally get it. And, uh, totally there with you. So tell me where people, where's the best place for people to follow or connect with BBVA Compass and where should they connect with you? Um, well, in terms of, you know, connecting, if you just kind of want to see a little bit about what we're up to um, from a social perspective, I would say that our, our Facebook and, and Twitter accounts are probably right now the most active. However, more and more, we're trying to share what we hope is useful content on our Instagram Handles and at bbba.bright, um, excuse me, bbbabright.com, which is our new um, Bright Futures community. And there's definitely more to come on that. If people are just interested in, in honestly educational content, it's probably just better to go to bbbacompass.com and check out our Money Fit or Bright Ideas sections. Um, but there's lots of different ways. What we realize is there's not one channel that suits everybody's needs. So we realize some people rather engage with us. It, we, by reading our blog or others would rather engage us through our, our feeds on, on LinkedIn or others would rather engage with us just by subscribing to our content newsletters. And so we've tried to make it flexible enough that people can opt in where they want and engage when and how they want. And if people want to connect with you, is LinkedIn the best way? I think probably LinkedIn would be the best way for sure. I've used Terrific. it for many, many years and I'd love to you know hear from people. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Jennifer. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.